Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Adina Lewittis, and today we're studying Tractate Shabbat, page 126. Our Daf picks up from the end of the last Daf's discussion about the Mishnah statement regarding shuttering a window on Shabbat. The Mishnah records a debate with respect to a shutter attached to a house by a rope. Rabbi Eliezer says that if the rope is short enough that the shutter is suspended when not in place, then you can place the shutter in a window on Shabbat. But if the rope is so long that the shutter lies on the ground when not in use, then you can't place it on Shabbat, because it looks like you're actually adding to the building. In order to preclude the appearance of actually building, Rabbi Eliezer prohibited using such a shutter. The sage is permitted using the shutter in either case. What's unclear and what the Gemara is now going to try to clarify is whether the sages were saying that they think it's okay to shutter the window whether it's suspended or not, or whether it's attached to the window or not. Rabbi Abba takes the first shot and suggests that they meant it's okay whether the shutter is attached to the building or not, provided they had the intention to use that piece of wood as a shutter prior to the start of Shabbat. Rabbi Yermia challenges this and suggests that the sages meant that you could use the shutter whether it was suspended or not, but it definitely had to be attached to the building. After some later literary analysis of other sources to prove his point, Rabbi Abba defends himself by saying he based his opinion on Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, who taught in another Brita that so long as the material had been designated mentally for the purpose, it can be used whether it's attached or not. A statement is then brought that the halacha follows Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. A debate ensues over whether, in fact, it could be that the Mishnah follows the opinion of Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel based on other statements of his. And then a statement is brought declaring that, in fact, the halacha is according to Rabbi Eliezer, who ruled that the shutter may be used only if it is attached and is suspended. This, of course, is now challenged by the bringing of a Mishnah from later in our tractate, which describes an incident in which some rabbis placed a jug in a window on Shabbat to stop the spread of impurity from a corpse coming from one house to another. They're also described as having tied a temporary knot in a reed to place the cup into the aperture to measure if it was wide enough to stop the flow of the tuma, the impurity. Because of this incident, it's concluded that it is indeed permitted to shutter a window with something that was unattached to the structure. An argument erupts over the authority of one proof text over another, seeing as both positions brought equally valid texts to support their opinions. The discussion is concluded with a fascinating statement. Even so, practice is greater. In other words, the source which uses as its proof an actual incident in the lives of the sages is more authoritative than the one which is based on theoretical reasoning. The reliability of conclusions drawn from study cannot stand up to the reliability of conclusions drawn from actual practice of the sages, which presumes deep reflection and consideration on their part. This statement reveals an important dimension of Talmudic law, which is that it is casuistic. It examines and relies on real-life situations and applications. Law must be a living and breathing framework, not merely a conceptual or theoretical ideal. This 17th chapter of Masechet Shabbat closes with one final short Mishnah which discusses moving vessel covers that have handles and those that do not have handles, depending on whether the cover is of a hole in the ground or is a cover of a movable utensil. The 18th chapter of Masechet Shabbat now begins. This chapter explores those activities on Shabbat for which we're permitted to exert ourselves and those for which we are not permitted to exert ourselves. 
The rabbis relaxed the prohibition on exertion when it came to the performance of a mitzvah, caring for an animal or for someone who's ill. Which circumstances qualify for that relaxed standard is the subject of our study. The Mishnah opens by saying we can clear away four or five boxes of straw or grain in order to make room to feed guests, meaning those who have nowhere else to eat, making our efforts the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Hachna Sarachim, welcoming guests, and that we can do so to seat students who have come to the study hall to learn Torah. But we're not permitted to move stores of grain and stores of straw. We'll define that term more clearly later on. The Mishnah then continues to define exactly what kinds of straw and grain may be moved, especially with regards to which tithes had already or not yet been taken from them. It specifies that you can't move something called loof, a type of legume that can't be eaten raw even by animals, because it's something that can only be cooked, making it muktzah. Nor can you move mustard, which can only be consumed once it's ground, something forbidden to do on Shabbat. Therefore, it's muktzah too. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel permits moving loof because while it's not edible for livestock or fowl, it is consumed by ravens, ravens being bred by wealthy people for entertainment or as status symbols. Therefore, because it has a use, it's not muktzah, according to him. Bundles of stubble, twigs, and reeds may not be moved as they're generally used for kindling, which is forbidden on Shabbat. The only way they can be moved is if they'd been designated before Shabbat as animal feed. The Gemara now opens with a logical question. Why, if the Mishnah says you can move four or five boxes of straw or grain, establishing that five would be okay, why did it need to say four? Why didn't it just say you can move five? Rabbis aren't being petty or difficult here. It's a deep-rooted notion in sacred Jewish literature that economy of words is prized, and that any time there's an apparent repetition or anything is superfluous, the text is asking for a rabbinic commentary or interpretation. Rav Chisa offers the explanation that the Mishnah meant to teach us that we can only clear four boxes out of a store that holds five boxes. Other readings suggest that the Mishnah should have read that you can take up to four boxes out of a small store and up to five from a large store. But then what does the Mishnah's line, quote, but we are not permitted to move stores of grain or of straw, end quote, mean. That line then means that you can't move produce from a store that hasn't yet been used to feed people or animals before Shabbat started. That would make the produce muktza. This is reflective of the view of Rabbi Huda, who holds an all-encompassing strict approach to the laws of muktza, making any object that's normally not used on Shabbat muktza and therefore not permitted to be moved since the owner had no intention of using it on Shabbat, and it wasn't prepared for use on Shabbat accordingly. Rabbi Shimon, by contrast, has a more lenient approach to muktzah. As long as something is okay to use, it's not considered muktzah unless the owner intentionally set it aside for Shabbat. We see here the legal efficacy of intention, albeit as it's applied in completely opposite ways, either to use or to not use an object on Shabbat. On the next stuff, the Gemara offers another explanation of the Mishnah's phrase four or five. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.